This episode of the Missions Podcast is sponsored by the Global Gospel Fund. You know, here on the show, we're driven by the conviction that eternity matters, time is short, and missionaries should be free to do the work that God has called them to do. Unfortunately, too many missionaries lose precious man hours managing the logistics of moving overseas, navigating visa structures, figuring out how to educate their kids, finding insurance, and more. And people who try to go it alone in missions without an agency don't usually realize how intense some of this work can be until it's too late. The Global Gospel Fund has a solution. Each gift to the Global Gospel Fund allows ABWE to serve more than a thousand missionaries with vital ministry-shaping resources, leadership, planning, care, and counseling by a team of more than 70 experts at our headquarters who know them by name, are praying for them, and are cheering them on. If you're burdened for missions this giving season but aren't sure how to best invest, the Global Gospel Fund is a great way to bless gospel-focused missionaries doing real evangelism, real church planting, and real compassion work across 70 countries. Become a Global Gospel Fund partner today at abwe.org slash globalgospelfund and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization at ABWE, joined in the studio by Scott Dunford, Vice President of Mobilization and Communications, uh, fighting a little bit of a cold, but it's that uh, time of year. you're bundled up nicely in that cardigan there, celebrating fall uh, in Pennsylvania. And uh, it's good to see you here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited about our topic today. I'm excited too. Uh, It's a topic that I think will have relevance not only to missionaries and people thinking in an overseas ministry context, but also uh, it it impacts us everywhere in the local church, um, even in parachurch ministry, anywhere where you can have one-on-one relationships with people. We're talking about the topic of mentorship and one-on-one discipleship, and we have sort of an in-house expert. He's not really in-house, but he is a part of the ABWE family today that we wanted to talk to about it. Yeah, excited to have on a longtime board member of ABWE, now board emeritus, uh, Marvin Brubaker. Marvin comes to us as the executive director of MentorLink Canada, and so he'll share us a little bit about MentorLink and his calling into that area of, of mentorship, but really has a long history before coming to Mentor link of raising up leaders. And uh, he did that as, as the president of a Bible college and seminary as he was over 20 years at uh, Heritage College and Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario, and also senior pastor of Faith Baptist Church uh, in Canada. And so Marvin, we're really glad to have you on. Welcome to our show. How's the weather in Canada? Our neighbor to the north. Well, it's beautiful today. It's sunny and uh, and somewhat warm, but it's, it's beautiful fall weather. So we take what we get and we do it with gratitude. Well, That's a better attitude than I would have about the cold weather in Canada. <laughs> so <laughs> shows your sanctification. You get, you get used to it. It's fine. Well, they get other good things in Canada, like Tim Hortons and things like that. Elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear the price yeah, of elk maybe. is cheaper yeah, up there. Right. Well, we're so glad to have right. you on. Could you just share with us a little bit about uh, your story, your journey, your family, um, and then kind of how God led you to focus on a ministry of mentorship um, at this stage in your life? Well, the few details about my, my, my life and family, I'm born in Canada and uh, from a family of seven kids. And uh, so it's been a privilege to grow up in a very godly Christian family. My dad was a business person who at midlife transitioned to being a pastor. And so that really caused me to shift the whole direction of my life away from my uh, anticipated career in math and science to, uh, to ministry. I'm interesting story. 
I'm married to Kay. She's from Michigan. We have three adult sons. Two are married. One is an associate pastor at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario executive pastor there. They have four granddaughters. Our middle son, Dave, and his wife, Tina, and two grandsons are serving under SEND International in Siberia, mm-hmm. Russia. He's the Russian director for, for SEND. So the, 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 the cold weather in Canada was preparation for Siberia. I, it, it's amazing yeah, it, how God it, works, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It, mind you, his wife grew up in Thailand as a missionary kid. So that wow. No oh, my goodness. Anyway. Wow. But uh, our, our youngest son is... Uh, is single, lives in Toronto, and works for the Anglican Foundation of Canada, and is a musician, writes wonderful uh, music. So that's a little bit uh, how I got started in this. It's really very interesting to me that when I was a young man, uh, high school young man, I belonged to something called Christian Service Brigade. It was pretty popular back then, a men and boys ministry, which was set up a mentoring motif. And uh, but on a military kind of approach. So the captain of the battalion, uh, who became a very good friend to me, actually an electrician, just to encourage people out there listening in churches, this isn't a professional thing. This is a passion thing. Uh, he he uh, came to me one day and said, Marv, I see in you Christian leadership. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of paper and write down in one or two sentences what you want, what you believe God wants you to do with your life. And he said, I don't want to hear about career. I want, what does God want to do with your life? And that's mentoring in its core. So it didn't matter what I was doing the rest of my life, whether I was in school as a student or serving the church or, you know, I was a residence director at Tennessee Temple with 280 guys. I always had this sense of my calling was to look around my life, look for guys that I could see God was at work in their life, and you could see they had a, a leadership ability, God-given leadership ability, developing it, and I would try to come alongside them, invite myself alongside them, and say, let's go on a journey together and see what God could do with your life. So this became just part of who I was, not just... Um, you know, I'm a college president or anything like that. So mm-hmm. it didn't matter. I was always doing it. So when I finished my uh, my time period in that kind of formal educational side, which has some wonderful strengths in this whole idea of developing leaders, I, I really had been frustrated about the limited amount of time and energy that I could give to helping guys really think through other parts of their life that needed attention. And uh, I just said to the Lord, it'd be great to be able to find an organization that I could come under their umbrella and do this mentoring thing wholeheartedly as long as you give me life and breath. Mm. And in that search, I came across this organization called MentorLink. And it's almost too strong a word to say organization. It's really a living body of people that have bought into the same vision and values. We can talk about that later, a little bit how it came into existence. But I just want to say this, because this is a missions podcast. It was birthed out of a conversation of about 14 senior leaders of various mission organizations. Hmm. So it has at its ethos the heart of missions. And um, it's being used around the world always by people indigenous to the various cultures or countries. 
I have a follow-up to that is I, I hear a lot um, from missionaries, especially, but also within the church context, um, about this lack of leadership. And a lot of it goes along the lines of complaining about, hey, this this new generation just doesn't get it the way there we was did. millennials. Yeah, and I, I'm looking right at Alex because I'm kind of judging him even in my own heart. Oh, my no. secret's <laughs> out. My secret's out. As we sit here, no. Um, so, so, so I'm just going to ask you, like, is is this problem of of lack of leadership and mentorship? Is this a new development? Is this just for the fact of, hey, there's something wrong with millennials? Or is this something that's much bigger than that? No, I, I would I would agree with you. It's much bigger than just this transition between generations. I, I mean, this was obviously an issue in the life of the Apostle Paul. So it goes right back to the Bible. It goes back to the life of Jesus. Uh, as we often say in Metterling, Jesus risked the whole advance of the kingdom on three men hmm. that he had spent time with. And um, so then Paul picks that up and says, you know, Timothy, there's there's an ongoing transmission of the faith that has to take place. And the way you do it is by you finding people that have two characteristics. They have to be reliable. So that's a character issue, and they have to have an ability to do it with others. So that's capacity. So you need to find people like that and pour into them in such a way that they can do it with others. And so... You go back to Psalm 78, it's right in there. You know, the reason Israel failed mm-hmm. is they didn't teach the greatness of God to yeah. one generation and another, another. So this is an ongoing issue that, that predates this generation by a long shot. Do you, do you see, in, in, as you're working with men um, and you're talking about mentorship in general, you know, men and women, that there is, is there something unique about our current time period that makes mentorship uniquely challenging? Or is this very similar to what we've experienced with each passing generation? Uh, that's a really good question. I thought a lot about that. And I think each each generational transition has some unique features to it. Mm. So I can't speak at all of them. But I, I do think historically... When our our North America, let's just talk about North America, but it was kind of worldwide. When the culture was very agrarian, much more farm oriented, mm-hmm. there was a natural connection between fathers and sons mm-hmm. working together, where they talked a lot about stuff. But then came the Industrial Revolution, where the fathers went off to work in factories. And kids weren't around as much. And then, of course, the rise of school systems where you have to go away to school. And and the family doesn't spend a lot of time sitting around talking with each other mm. anymore. Or, or more than that, working together anymore. Mm. And so that naturalness has been broken. Another thing that I've watched is in the early years when you had the apprenticeship model, which goes back to 1600s in England, the apprenticeship model was set up as a way in which young men, primarily because women weren't as much in the workforce, but especially young men, could be given over to a person who is an expert in some kind of uh, skill or whatever. And, And the apprentice submitted to that person in a very holistic way, where it wasn't just about learning how to make shoes or beat out new pots. It was about life. Yeah. And and that, I think, is the missing dimension that's kind of seeped out of this whole thing where today, and I think it's fairly much worldwide in certainly the cities of the world, the, the connection between parents, grand, between grandparents, parents, 
children and grandchildren has a lot of holes in it, a lot of stretches that aren't holding people tightly together. So that's one issue. Uh, another thing, of course, is the, um, uh, the, 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 the standard way we handle things in leadership development, unfortunately, in my estimation, comes out of the culture in which we live. And and our cultural kind of leadership is always broken because it's created by people that aren't following Christ. So these broken styles of leadership end up getting transferred into the church, and uh, they become the model. And we'll talk about that a little more because that's really the reason Mentorlink started. But the part that I want to just mention now is in that model of leadership— development, we have embraced into the life of the church a kind of secular mentoring model that focuses in on skill and knowledge and doesn't doesn't deal with character. Mm. So so you go to a business and the boss says to a person, hey, we got this new young worker. I want you to mentor him. There's no choice involved. Mm. There's There's no no purpose other than to make that new employee. There's no relationship there. There's well, it's very limited relationship. Yeah. It's just, it's just a transfer of information skills. So that person is, is a better employee for the company. So the company benefits. It's not about the person really benefiting at a core level of who they are holistically. So what happens, that's been brought into the church in the formal educational systems of, of Bible colleges, seminaries, and to a great extent in the life of our church, our focus is on a transmission of information and to some degree skill. But how much is really focused in on the heart of the leader? That's a, that's a really impertinent, um, that's a really pertinent question because you're talking about what's happening in the broader secular culture. So talk to me a little bit more about um, not only do we, we need a different type of mentorship in the local church, but even just back a step from that, you know, why is this one-on-one mentorship so critical uh, to the life of the local church? And then beyond that, why is it such a critical thing in terms of missions? Because I think when we think of, of, of missions, we're usually thinking of a lot of cold contact work. Um, we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about a lot of mass communication. You, we think of people casting a broad net, um, or we think of you know one-on-one trying to build relationships with people in an evangelistic context. But there's more to that than especially when it comes to training leaders. So why is mentorship, the way you've described it, that's character-focused, central to the church and central to our mission? Well, let me follow up with that, Alex, because I'm really curious about this. Because I, I run into pastors, or I hear pastors on, you know, podcasts or, or just through other forms saying things like, Hey, I do most of my discipleship through uh, my preaching, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, through the mass communication. And, and here you're saying something very different about the one-on-one personal relationships. Many people kind of think mentoring is discipleship. And I just want to make sure people that are listening to us understand the commission, the command is to make disciples, right? We Mm -hmm. all agree. That's Mm -hmm. the great commission is it's to make disciples. But in the making of disciples, there are two broad aspects. One is you make sure they get baptized because that connects them into the life of the community of faith and so on, you know, kind of says I'm in. But then the next statement says teaching them to observe or obey everything. That's really where you get into the mentoring, the need for mentoring. Mm. So what mentoring is, it's a tool 
that is used in discipleship. I like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's often messed up in our thinking. We think, oh, I'm going to start a mentoring program. No, that'll kill it because that's not what God wanted. God wanted you to set up a ministry of making disciples. Mm-hmm. That's what we're into. But what tools do we use along that discipleship track? There's a kind of mentoring that has to take place to bring people to the cross. And it's relational, it's conversational, so on. Right after a person is saved, there's a kind of mentoring that ought to take place. And we we have the tools, you know, the story of hope and that, the way to joy. There's a kind of a formality. It's a little more of a teaching-oriented thing to make sure people have got the basics in place. And then people get into the life of the community and they start stretching their spiritual muscles. Some just kind of sit, they never get very far. Others start taking on little roles of leadership. Maybe they lead a life group or they lead a Sunday school class or something or they, whatever. They start exercising their gifts and abilities and demonstrating commitments. That is when the Christian community, the leaders of the community, ought to be scanning that group of people and saying, who is there that I think I have a relationship with or could establish a relationship with and come alongside and say, let's go on a journey because I see in you the potential to be a leader for the kingdom. Whether it's in this church setting or not, kingdom leadership, I see. Let's give it a shot. And so it's when you get to that area of developing leaders for the kingdom that it narrows down to something you can't do mass. You can't do in big groups. You could maybe do it. I've done it one with three. Another time I did it with a mentee and we picked two each. So it was us two with four. And it gets a little complicated. It works really well one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the point is you begin to focus in on those areas of need in that person's life that generally never show up in a classroom or in standard conversations. Hmm. So it doesn't make any sense. It does. And I think that that, uh, you know, cause I'm thinking from the perspective of, okay, somebody sitting there, maybe they're involved in missions or maybe they're, they're interested in missions, but they're in ministry here domestically and they're listening to the show and they're just sitting here thinking, okay, uh, maybe I have one or two guys in my life. Maybe it's my pastor or an elder at my church uh, that I would consider to be, you know, a mentor of sorts, a, you know, a, a source of that spiritual stability and, and insight in my life. Um, and do I have anyone that I'm investing in? Well, maybe there was this one guy a couple months ago when I used to work with people in college ministry. Um, one, one of the questions that I would always ask is who's discipling you and who are you discipling? And I think we all need to have right. that, that input and that output. Um, so why would it be important then for someone who maybe can't identify who's giving that input into their life and who's giving, who's receiving output from them. Why is it important for, for a person to, to be receiving and to be giving both simultaneously, maybe even in, in pretty much any season of, of life that they're in? I, here I am. I'm almost 70 and I have some mentors in my life that I'm very accountable to for certain activities and certain things. So, uh, yeah, I fully believe that every person should have identified people that they have in their life that uh, have the privilege of speaking to their life or coming alongside them. Uh, Either they do it on their own or the person asks them to come in. And you need to have the same thing, the outflow. So you got the inflow and the outflow. That's a healthy Christian life. Uh, What I'm trying to say is at different stages of your life, you need 
different kinds of relationships. Mm. I think all of us can look back in our life and say there's certain people in our life that had meaning at certain times that that were transformative, that the conversations we had really helped me move down the road, made me think about things and so on. Those people ought to be cherished mm. and uh, honored and honored for taking that time. What I was trying to say is you, you started off asking me about this whole issue of leadership and pastors complaining of not enough leaders. And the reason I think there aren't is pastors have never taught their key leaders and never modeled themselves in an intentional, accountable way mm. of selecting some people that are in the context of their life that they see in them the potential for kingdom leadership or they're already exercising some kingdom leadership and they come alongside and say, Lake, let's go on a journey and really make this happen in your life. That's why. And then the second reason why we're short of leaders is if it's done, if there's mentoring done, most often churches make it a program. It dies because programs all die. The third problem is it's not done in such a way that the person being mentored is also, while they're being mentored, is being taught how to do with others and taught and coached how to do with others. So so those are the main reasons why we're short of leaders in churches. Well, and I think uh, you, you could, asked, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I want to ask a question too, because uh, to me, I think you could also be the, describing there the reason that we don't have more missionaries. I think a lot of times Absolutely. our approach to mobilizing more missionaries is this very sort of, um, you know, Urbana style, well, have a conference and have a compelling speaker, have a guy like, you know, John Piper, somebody give a stirring message and then, you know, everybody responds. And then we, we did our piece to mobilize new missionaries. And again, it's this very top down, you know, mass communication sort of thing. I don't know that it's occurred to many pastors to, to look at their fold and to say, uh, and not just pastors, but maybe a missionary on furlough to look at the people in their networks and to say, well, here's one person that I think has cross-cultural potential. I'm just going to build a relationship with them. I'm just going to mentor them. And maybe in 10 years, God uses them somewhere overseas. But that seems to be foreign to me as well. Have you seen a lack of that? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It was natural at one time because of the way our culture operated. It's not natural now. So it has to become much more intentional in, in setting it up and doing it. And um, we could go on and on about this topic. You asked about the millennials. Well, all the literature would say millennials really gravitate towards people who are willing to mentor them. They want it. Now, it doesn't mean they always want to do what they're encouraged to do, but they want that relational dimension to their development as a, as a Christian and beyond just Christians. The problem is the previous two generations, no one ever did it with them in an intentional way. Many of them come from broken relationships as far as their homes, their fathers, and so on. So here you got this generation wanting it, and no one knows what to do. And so the millennial goes up to person, would you mentor me? And the person goes, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I I, I wouldn't know what to do. It scares me half to death. Now, they don't say those words, but that's the way they respond when they say no. It, it's So we have to begin to teach this. We have to begin to teach it and model it. And um, the churches that are doing it intentionally have leaders. 
I'm curious, are you seeing the biggest resistance from uh, younger people not wanting to be mentored? Or are you seeing the biggest resistance to it being the older generation not knowing what to do? Where, where, when you find the resistance to this idea or this model, where is that coming from? I'm not so sure resistance is the word. Hmm. I, I see it as a lack of emphasis. Hmm. It, it's like this. Everybody's talking about it. No one's doing it. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's that kind of a thing going on. Now, mentoring is like the hot button topic today. Well, who's actually doing it? Hmm. And if they are doing it, are they sure that what they're doing is really biblically rooted and thoughtful? And And so... I think resistance is maybe not the right word. I think a lack of understanding is. Yeah. And um, and people have these artificial barriers in their mind, like this is going to take over my life, or this is going to this is going to stretch me. I wouldn't even know what to talk about. I, you know, I've never had this done. They come up with all these excuses, mm. of which, and I say this very carefully, half of them are because of a lack of training and a lack of experience. So I don't really even see it as excuses. If they say I don't have time, that's an excuse. Yeah. Because you always have time for what's most important. Life. So I, I want to yeah. shift gears here just for a second, and we can come sure. back to this later if you want to. But um, so, so I, I see, you know, I, I follow, you know, your updates online and, and we're friends outside of this podcast. Um, I know that you're not just doing this in North America, but you're also taking trips overseas. I know you've been to Africa and, and Europe and, and doing this internationally. So what is the biggest differences you're seeing um, between mentorship domestically here in North America and what is going on overseas? Is there a difference? Is there a, a different way to do mentorship if in Asia or Africa or Europe or, or is there one model that works everywhere? Mm. Uh, well, <laughs> the simple answer was that Scott that was asking me. Yeah, that, that was me, Scott. Uh, Scott, the simple answer is the Jesus model works everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and that's a, that's and, a good and, answer. <laughs> and that, Oh, that's one reason I love MentorLink because we just focus on the life of Jesus and what he did and, and his his values and his sense of vision and say, let's replicate that throughout the world. The, the challenge in various cultures is what I said earlier. Every culture has a broken leadership model. You can put the name on it. We have a little brochure we call the Transformational Values of Leading Like Jesus, which is on our website free of charge again in multiple languages. But in there we say that every, we, we name that. So in North America, the broken leadership model, which has been important in the church, is the CEO model. Mm. Or, you, you know, you get certain perks as you move up the ladder from mm -hmm. junior pastor to senior pastor. You yeah. get more pay, bigger office, all this. Yeah, it's all CEO model stuff. Who said that's the right way to run a church? I know I'm getting really into deep weeds here, but I, I really do it. To get that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, in other cultures, for instance, where my son is serving, it's a, it's a strong man model. It's, it's like, there's a guy who's the strong man. And so, you know, a lot of those churches, Russian Baptist churches, the pastors of many, many Putin, you know, like that's the way they run the church. Because that's the model that's respected in the in the society as far as a leader. You go to South America, it's a dictator model. You go to Africa, it's a chieftain model. So what we have to do is address the model at its brokenness. And that's what you have to be culturally sensitive about. And then the way you encourage people to relate to each other does have to have a certain amount of cultural sensitivity. So the way we relate in North America, we can be pretty upfront with people, pretty direct. Um, 
you know, teaching a Chinese brother how to mentor, mm. it'd be a little more, it'd be, it'd just be a little different, you know, yeah, like, very deferential Eastern culture, very deferential, very respectful. You know what I'm saying? So that's the part that I think differs, but at the core of it, we're addressing a broken leadership model with the model of Jesus. So that ends up being a bit confrontational. Mm. Then in certain cultures, you have added struggle. For instance, right now in a number of countries in sub-Saharan Africa, I'm going to Kenya here shortly. I was in Togo and some other places. This whole prosperity gospel is just taking over the evangelical church. And and see, it just feeds to that broken style of leadership. So fundamentally, guys, here's the deal. The broken style of leadership is all about me building my own kingdom, protecting my rights, establishing myself, being able to dictate to others, it's me building my kingdom instead of me building God's kingdom. Mm. And that is the fundamental struggle. And that's, I think it's only addressed well in a mentoring model where you sit down and you actually identify those symptoms and you address them and then you bring some intentional activity for which the mentee is accountable in order to break through those thinking patterns and those uh, activity patterns that have been so deeply ingrained in a person's life. That's really good and that's helpful. And I can think how that'll help even missionaries on the field where they might be stalled out in their ministry. And what they need to do is not just be the person on the front lines, but also to be thinking uh, which which nationals or which teammates of mine can be mentoring me and speak into my life. Uh, can I open myself up to their input and can I uh, be equipping national leaders on a one-on-one -on -one basis and giving them that sort of investment? Uh, because, it, again, it's not all just about that top-down style of communication. A lot of it is across the table or shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder or over a cup of coffee or tea, if, if you're a tea person for whatever reason. <laughs> um, Marv, thank you so much for, for diving into this topic with us. And there's a lot more that we could talk about. But how can people hear more from you? Um, how can they follow your ministry, get your updates, uh, and engage with you? The simple thing is to go to the website, www.mentorlink, one word, M-E-N-T-O-R-L-N-K, mentorlink.org slash Canada. Here's the Mentorlink model. Everything we put on there is free of charge. It doesn't mean it didn't cost to produce, because it has. But once we've made it, it's on there. It's copyrighted, so they're not allowed to change it. But you can download as many copies as you want. And whatever the tool is you want to use, uh, look for the languages because they're in multiple mm. languages. So t you have to you have to look at resources, click on the tool you want, and then go to the, the language that you want to use. The, the foundational tool that was created to address this is a seminar called the Passing It On Seminar. It addresses what we think is the definition of transformational mentoring. And we talk about it, moving people from the left to the right, from, like I said, building their personal success to building God's kingdom, from building an environment of control to environments of grace. You can see it. And each one of those has some biblical theological thinking that lead to four foundational mentoring questions. That's the main top. And then it, towards the end, it has some some more skill side of how to set up an arrangement with a mentee and, and how do you find mentors, that kind of stuff. So that's a foundational one. By the way, you, you should never start mentoring until you've prayed over some names and God says, this is the person to mm, ask. Mm, that's good. And that 
See, that models Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Like, a lot of people don't get this, but Jesus gathered followers for over two years before he went up on the mountain and prayed, and then came down from the mountain and announced who were going to be the 12 apostles. He that prayed for like a two full night straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the model we try to say. You, you think through your environment, you pray over names, and then you ask. Now, people will ask you to mentor them, and I think you need to have a way to decide, is that a person you want to spend time with? Because your time's limited. The best way is you invite them. You invite yourself onto their journey. So you've prayed, you thought, and then you say, would you give me the privilege of going on your life journey? And let's talk about the things that need to be talked about in your life that are keeping you from living like Jesus and leading like Jesus. Let's get serious. Mm. Marvin, they can get a hold of you at metrolink.org slash Canada. They can also get to you at at Marvin at mentorlink.org or on Twitter at Marvin Brubaker, B-R-U-B-A-C-H-E-R. Thank you again for joining us today. And uh, we hope and pray this will be something of profit for all of our listeners. Uh, It'd be my delight to have a personal conversation with anybody about this. This has been worthwhile. Thank you for the privilege. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. Until next time, thank you for joining us.